Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. So, January, <clears throat> we're looking at persons of interest, which basically is not the TV show, but it's, um, it's people in the Bible. We're studying specific people so that we can learn, so that we can glean, so that we can take things from their life. Maybe it's their faith. Maybe it's their obedience or their surrender. Maybe it was the fact that they were able to trust and keep walking through a difficult time. Or, or maybe it's the fact that they were able to rise up against all the odds. There are so many different people we can choose and so much we can learn. The Bible is full, so full of information and uh, keys and tips. So last week Paul talked about Esther. It was a great message. So if you weren't here, download it, c3churchwatson.com.au. And you can um, go and click all the things and listen to it. Anyway, so today, you know, you click all the things. You know what I'm talking about. So today, I'm talking about Moses. Over the years, I have, and I'm just going to do that all day. I should have brought my staff. Um, I've, over the years, I've learned a lot. I've, I've gleaned and learnt a lot from Moses, from who he is and from the things that he did. Over the years, I've found comfort in his humanness. He was, he was human and God used that. I've been inspired by his relationship with God. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says, it says that there has never been another prophet in Israel whom the Lord knew face to face. I love that verse. That inspires me. That inspires me. His relationship with God, his face-to-face relationship with God inspires me. I've been spurred on by his incredible faith. If you look at um, Hebrews 11, which is the great faith chapter, only Abraham is mentioned more than Moses talking about faith. Six of those 40 verses are about Moses' faith. I've been inspired by his example of leadership, You know, many commentators agree that uh, he is the greatest example of a leader in the Old Testament, if not the entire Bible. And I've been humbled by his obedience and his resilience. I mean, this guy spent two-thirds of his life living in the wilderness. 80 years overall, 40 and then 40. That's pretty amazing, hey? You've got to be resilient to do that. So this morning I want to look at how, babe, actually I've left something down there. There are some seeds in my bag. Yeah, so you go digging and see what you can come up with. There's another one as well. All sorts of fun things. So this morning I want to look at how we can see God's ordained pattern of life, the seasons we all go through in life, how we can see them in through Moses' life. And my prayer is that we would all be encouraged and we would all be inspired to keep going no matter what stage we find ourselves in right now. You ready? Good. I've got my seeds, so I'm fine. Thank you, babe. So when we look at the natural world, we see that God does 
and he has ordained a certain pattern. And those patterns are cycling through and they are rep repeating. So summer, autumn, winter, spring. When, you know, when you're in summer, you can't actually imagine being cold. Anyone feel like that? You feel like this is going to go forever? It can feel like that in, in, when we're in a certain stage of our life too, you know? Is this stage ever going to finish? Am I ever going to get to sleep again? Will these children ever sleep through the night? You know, any women understand that feeling? Yeah, yes. Was that a man that said yes? Yeah, go. That's what I like to hear. See, there is a pattern to life, and it's, it applies to our life as a believer as well. God has ordained a certain pattern to our lives, and that pattern cycles through. As we go from one season to the next, if we go with it and, and let it do its work, because every season has a purpose, just like the seasons of life, they all have a purpose. Every season we find ourselves in, in God, has a purpose. If we let it do its work, we will eventually find that our lives are vibrant and alive and green and healthy. John 12 says this, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. In that scripture, we see the seasons of life. There is a, there is a, a, a seed, there is a form of life, there is a death where the seed goes into the ground. That's the second step. There is a tomb. There is a period where nothing seems to be happening on the surface. There is nothing there. It's just dirt. And then there is a resurrection as it begins to sprout. And then there is a multiplied fruitfulness. So they're the five steps. And we'd all like to be at step five continually, hey? A multiplied fruitfulness. But we need to understand that there are seasons... And that to get to step five, there is a cycle that we need to go through. It's a five-step cycle that God takes us through in our lives or in a, different, in a part of our life, during different seasons of our lives. And everything begins with a seed. Now, I am not a gardener. Do seeds have a uh, use-by date? This would say so before 1990, if it... See, I did not get my mother's ability to love gardening. I'm sorry, Mum. She loves it. I cannot, do not. But in here, it's dried up. No. <laughs> in here we have, what's this called? No, it's not called a bag. What are these called? Bulb. A bulb. Right, this is a bulb. <laughs> and it's mouldy. I went to the gardening, the gardening part of our world this morning before I left church, and you can tell that I don't visit it very often. <laughs> I, I have, neither does Paul, he visits it more than me. Um, I have a seed in my hand, and it, can you see the seed? No, okay, well believe me, I don't lie to you. In that seed, there are tiny, 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 many more seeds. But we, just, we can only, well, I can only see the seed. 
and it doesn't look very spectacular at all. But it does carry the DNA, the genetics of life inside it. I think it's tomatoes inside it. For all of us here, without exception, we all have a form of life. We may not be happy with the form of life that we have, but we have it. But also within us, we have so much more than what we can just see on the surface right now. You have so much more in you than maybe what you can see or maybe what other people can see. And you have so much more in you than what, even what you're experiencing right now. So much more that you are capable of than what you might even be doing right now. Because everything starts with a seed. When Jesus came to earth, he, he first came as one form of life. The Bible says, says that the word became flesh, and he walked the earth. Message Bible says he moved into our neighborhood. But he had another form of life after he was resurrected. Before the resurrection, he got tired, he got hungry, he got disappointed, he was frustrated. He didn't sin, but he faced what we face. And after the resurrection, he came in a different form of life. He walked through walls. It was a different form of life. Let's look at Moses' life. He was born, when Moses was born, he and all the other males, were, he was born under a sentence of death. His mother hid him. She, she almost kept him in a cupboard. She had to do everything she could do to stop him from crying. Now that's not easy. In case someone heard him and snatched him away and killed him. And, and when, when he got older, she, she put him in a basket and took him to a river. And the story goes that, you know, Pharaoh's um, yeah, daughter came and they had this little... Anyway, he, his, pet, his mother ended up nursing him until he was about 12. But eventually, his family abandoned him, sent him off to the palace just to keep him alive. His family abandoned him. That's enough for anyone to deal with, hey? Exodus 2 says this, Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for her help. So the woman took the baby home and nursed him. Later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. There are two little verses stating what happened. But just imagine how much emotion came with those verses. Moses went from the security of his own loving family to a lonely and unfamiliar place of strangers. He went from slave quarters to a palace. He didn't just move down the road. He didn't just move to another neighborhood. He didn't just move to another city. This was like moving to a different planet. He became a prince. And I would imagine that those years for Moses would have been lonely and difficult. I imagine he would have sometimes cried himself to sleep at night, missing his mother, missing his father, wondering what his sister and his brother were doing, missing them. 
He was, an ex- he was experiencing one form of life. It wasn't his entire destiny, but it was a, a form of life. And he could have looked at his life, at his circumstances, and he could have turned bitter. He could have turned into an angry young man. He could have held a grudge against his birth mother. He could have hated this new situation, fought the system, made his life the system that made his life the way that it was. And he could have never become the person he was destined to be because he was destined for greatness. But he didn't get bitter. He stayed in. He learned. He grew. He trusted. But he never forgot his roots in an internal, sovereign God. Because God doesn't make mistakes. And he's able to take every form of life, no matter where your life is right now, no matter what you're sitting in right now, God is able to take every form of life, even a life with heartache, pain, regret, missed opportunities, and he's able to turn it around and use it for his glory. He did it with Moses, and he can do it with you and me. Moses grows up, yes, in privilege, in one sense, but in another sense, he's not in privilege at all because he's lost his family. And one day, he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Jew, and he loses it. He just loses his temper. Moses had an an anger problem. And he goes over in anger, and he fights the Egyptian, and he actually kills him. And when he realises what he's done, he tries to hide the Egyptian and he tries to put the whole thing behind him. So, So what is all that about? Why did Moses all of a sudden come to the aid of the Jew? Why did he do it? See, along the way, in his life, somewhere Moses believed that he was going to be used by God as deliverer to the Hebrews before he received that commission. It was in him. He received that that recommissioning at the burning bush, but it was in him already. It was inside him. He knew that he was destined. Acts 7. This is talking about Moses. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Here it is. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them but they didn't. See, it was in him. He knew that somewhere along the line, that was what he was called to do. Just like some of you know, that there is something in you that God has called you to do, and sometimes, sometimes we can do what Moses did and get the timing all wrong. See, he correctly believed that he was to be the deliverer to the Israelites, but he got the timing wrong. Moses got it wrong. He moved in his own timing, in his own thought processes, and basically in his flesh. He acted deliberately according to a plan, but it was his plan. He pushed his way in. He forced the door. Door's not opening? Right, I'm going to kick it down. He forced that door. And if we, in life... 
find ourselves trying to hammer a square peg into a round hole, if we find ourselves pushing and straining to get something going, maybe we need to check and just make sure it's supposed to be happening right now. Paul spoke about this briefly last week. In the Bible, there are two words for time. One is calendars and clocks and hours, and the other is all about seasons and the appointed time and the proper time for something to happen. Moses tried to move, but it wasn't the right time. And it all went bad, and it all went wrong. Timing is as important as action. I don't like it, but it's true. I'm wired for action. I am not wired for waiting. But timing is as important as action. That's where wisdom comes in. Knowledge tells me what to do. Wisdom tells me when and how to do it. How to carry it out. Just imagine if Joshua, when they were going around Jericho, said, oh, look, I know God said seven times, but I'm tired. I've had enough. I'm just, let's just do five. Let's just do five times. Let's shout now. Do you think it would, the walls would have come down? They wouldn't. What about David in the cave with Saul? I mean, he was told, he was anointed to be the king. And then there was this cat and mouse chasey thing where Saul's trying to kill him. And if he was in that cave, he, he could have done Saul in. I mean, let's just, let's just get on with it, God. I mean, seriously, do we have to, do, you know, we have to wait all this time? Do you think God would have blessed him? No. Timing. The problem is not that God is too slow. It's that we can be too fast. We can be too fast for our own good. When Pastor Phil Pringle started this movement, he started it twice. Don't know if you know that. But he came and he started it and it fizzled and he went back to New Zealand because he did it in his time, not God's. And then a few years later, he came and he started it, and hey, here we are. Because it was the right time. Pacing ourselves is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. Moses acted prematurely and found himself in the land of Midian sitting by a well. He killed the Egyptian... But not only did the Egyptian die that day, something in him died as well. And that's the second part of the life cycle. And that's called death. Don't we love talking about death? But something in him died. And death is the hardest thing for us to accept. I mean, let's look at Peter talking to Jesus. You know, Jesus says, I have to die. And Peter says, oh, don't be ridiculous, God. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. We don't like. We fight. Death is hard to accept. It's difficult to deal with, to to think of our own lives as mortal. But death is actually a part of a vibrant life. Apart from physical death, there are some things within us that we have to allow to die. If we want to experience real life. Some dreams, some ideas, some ministries, some relationships 
Some relationships you have to let die. Sometimes those things have to die, and unless we allow them to die, the vibrancy, the potency, and the effectiveness of our lives will actually never come to pass. Paul put himself through this. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Who would want to do that? Naturally speaking, no one wants to do that because it's painful. So when we're faced with a thing that has to die in us, we may do the same thing as Peter did with Jesus. God, you can't do that. God, you can't take that. You can't take that off me. That's my thing. I'm supposed to be doing that. But God's saying, I want you to lay it down. Because laying it down, laying it down will actually produce a new form of life. It will actually produce a more powerful form of life if you will only allow it to die. If you will allow it to die. Because sometimes we don't allow it to die. I found it really hard many years ago. Now I love it. I found it really hard to stop worship leading many years ago. I used to worship lead morning and night for years. Every week, two services. And I was leading worship in a, for the all Canberra C3 thing. Gosh, I don't know how many years ago. Many. And Pastor Phil was sitting in the front row. And afterwards, he said to me, So Mel, the anointing on your life has shifted. <laughs> That's exciting. Oh, really? But I needed to hear that. Because things shift in life. They don't stay the same. A few people, the ones who understand how it works, get to a stage where they're happy to lay it down. I want us to be like that. I want to be like that. A loose hold on the things of God. A loose hold on the things that God has me, me doing in my life. Walk away any day. They don't own me. I am a servant. Rick Warren says this, every Sunday morning I go before God and I resign. I say to God, I lay this church down. Is it time for me to go? If he says no, I pick it back up. But he's ready to let it die at any moment. If we can't bring ourselves to this point, and a lot of us can't, what happens next is that God does it for us. He gets someone to say, I think that anointing on your life has shifted. He will actually see to it that it happens in some way. So a circumstance will arise, a person will come into your life, and they will kill something in your life. It happened to Moses because God needed something that was out of whack within him to die. And when it did, Moses moved into the next part of the cycle, and that part is the tomb. And the tomb is not very fun. The tomb is where we are between death and the resurrection. It may be a short time, it may be a long time. It's a significant place and a significant time. You may be there this morning, you may be physically alive. 
but still have something inside you that has died. And you feel like life is going on without you. There's not a lot happening. You're just marking time. This is the tomb. For Moses, it was 40 years. 40 years. That is a long time. He wasn't in a physical tomb. He was in Midian and God was teaching him something very important. God was teaching him to be a shepherd. But he was also teaching him a lot more. See, Moses was at God's school. So when our three children finished school, uh, high school, we took them to college, all sorts of colleges, and we checked out the teachers and we looked at the curriculums and we looked at the subjects and what the schools were good at and blah, 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 and all of that. Because that's what you do. Because schooling is important. God has a school too. It's not a usual school. It, it doesn't have amenities that you go and check out and walk through to see what courses are on offer <laughs> and what the teachers are like. There isn't a website that you can look at to find out about it, but it's one of the most profound institutions of learning you will ever attend. Yes. I've been in this school, and you probably have too. And Moses found himself there as well. And I've already said, he found himself there. He spent 40 years there. Some lucky people only spend a few weeks. Others maybe months. Moses spent 40 years. God's work in Moses was painstakingly slow. Probably because his destiny was so big. And God needed this time to shape him. And, and then when he'd shaped him, he used him like no man had been used before. What is the school? It is God's school of the desert. And no one escapes it. When we're in that school, we often wonder, does God know? Where is God? Does he care? Does he understand? Oh, he understands very well. He understands. He is the one who puts us in that desert. Actually, Hosea tells us that he allures us there. God's schooling always always includes time in the wilderness and time in the desert because that's where he gets our attention. Deuteronomy 32 says this, He found them in a desert land, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them. He watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. How important are your eyes? That's how God guards you. I mean, this scripture is written about Israel, but it can also apply to us during our desert experience. It's often in that desert place that we feel isolated. We feel like God is gone. We feel like we've been left behind and everyone else is, you know, they're sailing past us, having a great time. God bless you as you're having a great time. Yeah, Instagram feed. We feel like we're never going to get out. It's like that season thing. Is it ever going to get cold? We feel like time is running out. We feel like we've been forgotten, like opportunities are passing us by. But I tell you, not, I tell you what, that is not true. That, that scripture says that he surrounded them. 
We are surrounded, we are watched over, we are guarded, and we are safe in his hands. When you're surrounded, you're surrounded. That means all of you is surrounded. Above, below, around, you are surrounded. Jesus went through the worst desert of all, and he was alone like no man has ever been alone. He was rejected, he lived in obscurity, he suffered the worst that earth and hell could throw at him. He walked through the desert and he knows what it's like. What the desert, what the wilderness, the tomb is about is to make sure that the death is real. Isn't that exciting? Have you really died to that thing? Because if you haven't, he can't take you to the next step. I remember hearing Mark Kelsey, who Mark and Bernie are coming this year in March. I remember, and they planted the first C3 in America. And they have stories. They have lots of great, happy stories of challenge and fun and spiritual opposition and just full-on stuff. And I remember hearing him speak. I've heard him speak many times on, on this actual subject. You know, and they were kicked out of their apartment building because everyone signed a petition because they didn't want them in there and and he was doing all these he was doing a number of jobs and like it was just terrible and he tells the story of being up on a um I want to say skirting board but that's not what it is it's that thing that you scaffolding yeah he was standing up on a scaffolding and he was cleaning shingles or something and he said to God he said God what am I doing here and it wasn't just what am I doing here cleaning this it was what the heck is going on? And the Holy Spirit just said to him, I brought you here to kill you. <laughs> Isn't that an encouraging word? But that's what I'm talking about right now. Are you dead yet? Not just playing dead, because we have this thing, we sort of do, yep, I've shot you now, play dead. You know, I'm, de- I'm dead, God. I'm really dead. But when no one's looking, you know, we're CPR. <laughs> Give me the paddles, everyone. Away. And we're alive again. So God wants to make sure that we're really dead. And he's not in a hurry. He has all the time in the world. Forty years later, Moses is out there minding the sheep. And he experiences stage four which is the resurrection, and only God can bring it. And we can't manufacture it, and we can't just say, God, I'm really dead, because he can't be filled. And when it's the right time, the appointed time, he will move. And God turns up in Moses' life, in Exodus 3, in the the burning bush, and Moses gets God's hand on him, and God says, you are ready to deliver Israel now. Moses, rise up. And what happens next is the most unusual thing. Moses doesn't want it. See, here's the guy who saw the Jew being mistreated and went and killed a man because he was so ready. He was ready to do what God, you know, he was ready to do his destiny. But he's been in the tomb so long, he's content there. And he has no anger left. And he has no violence left and he has no ambition left. It's all gone. He actually likes the sheep. 
He's happy with the sheep. He's talking to the sheep. He's named all the sheep. And Moses says, I can't do it, God. And God has to deal with him. But eventually, eventually they have this thing. And and Moses says, yes. And he becomes the most amazing leader who delivers God's people through the promised land. What is in you that God has for you? That you have to rise up out of that part, that place of death to do what God has. Because God comes to us at just the right time. And he says it's time. And when we've been in the tomb, we say you've got the wrong person, God. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I've said that to God many times. The very thing that we wouldn't let die before, now we won't let it live. But this is where we need to stand up and allow the life of God to fill us again. Because when we do that, we move into to step five, which is fruitfulness. Huge, huge fruitfulness. Because God has worked in us and he can use what he's done in us. See, Moses was not perfect and none of us are. Moses was an extraordinary leader who rose up and did what he was called to do because he stayed with the process no matter what, no matter what his life threw at him. He kept saying, yes, God, yes, God. And God took him and he used him. You know, he, had, he, he wrote the law on the tablets. He did extraordinary miracles. He stood in front of a wall of sea and put down his staff and they walked through. I mean, you know, millions of people for 40 years, whinging and complaining. He took them to the promised land. He didn't go in, but he took them. God wants to do the same with you and me. Will we stay in the process? Don't abort. Don't abort. Will we stay in the life cycle? Will we allow it to complete its work in us? The seed. Excuse me. Let's just shut our eyes. The seed. The death, the tomb, the resurrection, and the multiplied fruitfulness. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.